0: Well, good morning, church. Thank you for being with us today. You know, it's so easy in the hour and day what we're living in to look around us and in the world that we're living in, and have this sense of unbelief—maybe I should say disbelief and fear. I have a hard time. I don't know if you're like me, just watching the news anymore because I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Uh, there's so much that I don't understand, and I don't want to offend people. Well, I don't really care if I offend people. I'm not politically correct. The Bible is not politically correct either. And Jesus definitely was not politically correct. So if there's a voice that I'm going to listen to, it's going to be his voice. You know, I look around and there's so much wrong in our world today, without a doubt. There's so much corruption. There's so much lawlessness. There's so much crime. There's so much hatred. There's so much division among our own countrymen. It's escalated to a level that so many of us, we don't want to watch the news because it's just maddening. And on top of all this political upheaval that we're experiencing, I've seen such an upshift in Christ followers being persecuted, basically. They've been mocked. They've been demonized. They've been misunderstood for simply standing for their faith. When I think about our world, our world has changed. Our America has changed. The America you thought you knew, I hate to say it, but that's gone. No longer is this nation a nation based on godly principles or morality I believe America is following its own godless culture into economic, moral, and political decline. And it makes you wonder, as a follower of Christ, what are we to do? And when I look at the postings on social media, they are so vicious, they are horrible. And the news reports on all the news stations, it just helps me realize that the values that they are presenting, I don't even recognize as being values of our country anymore. It's changed so much. But here's the deal. We're asking the question, what are we as followers of Christ to do? You know, a lot of times we think that uh, we're living in the worst time in history. We're not. I mean, think back. These are the same questions asked by the first century believers, which we're going to see in this series that we're going to get into starting today. It's the same questions that we're asking today in the 21st century. And that question is, how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to live as Christians and respond in all of this craziness? and all of this chaos, and all of this corruption? Well, we're beginning a brand new ser- sermon series on First Peter. First Peter is only five chapters long. And I learned that First Peter is actually the most popular book in the New Testament that's read by Christians all around the world that are being persecuted and actually killed for their faith. Just a little trivia there, but it tells you how important this little book is. The author is... Uh, a Peter, of course, of First and Second Peter. Peter's a fisherman. Some of you uh, know who I'm talking about. But Peter uh, is a guy that we all love because we can all identify with Peter on some level. thing about Peter, he was just a regular guy. I mean, he made a lot of mistakes. He said some pretty dumb things. He did some pretty dumb th- things. Uh, he was very impulsive. He would speak before he was... Uh, thought about what he was going to say. He would do things before he uh, actually thought about what he was doing. And I like uh, the fact that he wasn't real churchy. To me, that's kind of refreshing. But when you start comparing Peter to other Bible heroes, the Apostle Paul comes to my mind. Uh, Apostle Paul, in my mind, is kind of up here, the regular guy Peter, kind of down here in a sense. You remember the Apostle Paul? He was the guy that said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I went to the finest and best and was trained in the best schools in the land. Peter's thinking, well, uh, I don't know so much about that, but I do know the difference between a channel cat and a crappie. (laughs) Think about that. Paul probably would have uh, been the type of guy that would sit around and watch the History Channel. I'm thinking Peter, not so much. I think he was more of a sports center guy when you think about Peter. But I also uh, come to remember that Peter was the first disciple to recognize Jesus as the son of the living God. He was also the disciple that uh, denied Christ three times before the crucifixion. And then after the resurrection, Jesus came back to Peter, restored him. But after Jesus restored Peter, he never wavered again in his faith. His faith was rock solid. So this is the same Peter that wrote to these uh, scattered believers to encourage them to keep up the faith, help them to live for Christ even in the middle of a hostile world. Peter's message is both a message of encouragement, where he's telling these scattered believers, stand fast with your faith. Don't give up, no matter what you're going through. And he also gives them a warning that, hey, hard times are upon us, and more hard times are coming. Peter's main theme in 1 Peter is actually hope. It's mainly the hope that Christ gives us hope in the middle of hurtful times. I would say every one of you out there listening to me today know that we've been through some really hurtful times. Amen? Amen? But the thing is, Jesus was their answer then, and Jesus is our answer now. Let me walk back in history a little bit, maybe a lot of bit. I'm going all the way back to 64 A.D. Something happened. You can Google it. It actually happened. It's called the Great Fire of Rome. And it was in 64 A.D. when a section of Rome caught fire, the city of Rome. Um, It started in the merchant area where the stores were scattered over to the uh, stadium where the chariots were kept and the horses were kept. It burned for nine days, and it burned up two-thirds of the city. Well, it's kind of ironic that this section of city that burnt to the ground happened to be the same section of city that the wicked Emperor Nero, who was in charge of everything in that day, wanted to use that piece of ground actually to build his new imperial palace. Coincidence? I think not. The scholars actually believe that Nero was actually the arsonist. He was the one that set the fire. But what did Nero do, being the nice guy he was? He started to blame the fire on Christians. He started uh, to avoid suspicion and to cover up things. Him and his people started blaming the fire on Christians, saying they started it, because he actually hated Christians. He loved to persecute Christians. He loved to torture Christians. This guy was such a wicked guy that he would take... Uh, bloody skins of animals and put them on the backs of Christians and then he would sick the dogs on them they would rip them apart I mean he would put them in prison he would wrap people while they are alive in cloth dip them in oil put them in his garden set them on fire fire to light his rose garden such an evil person it's also said that he was uh, his girlfriend convinced him to kill his own mother I'll just say he was evil with a capital E When you think of Christians in that day, they were considered unpatriotic if they wouldn't bow down to Nero. In his mind, they're just worshiping a dead carpenter, and he couldn't figure out why they wouldn't bow down to his ungodly ways. So Christianity, I'm just saying, was facing a brand new crisis. A brand new crisis, and that crisis is that their world was changing. Their world was changing, their world was changing fast, and they were no longer welcome in this world. Well, Peter sees this approaching wave of persecution and he writes to say some things to encourage his people to keep the faith. Keep the faith, keep the hope. You know, as I look around and as we look around and we watch the uncertainty of what uh, we're going through in our world, in our country today, if you're like me, you've asked the question, God, are you watching this? God, do you see what's going on in our world? Well, that's exactly the same question the first century believers were asking in Peter's day. And I think about this, how awesome it would be as a pastor to go out to my mailbox and be able to get a letter from the Apostle Peter. That would be pretty awesome. Maybe it's a scroll rolled up with his seal on it. And as soon as you open it up, you know who it's from. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. It starts out, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, you know who the letter is from immediately because back in that day, they didn't sign the letter at the bottom. They signed it at the beginning. It was their custom. So as soon as you opened it up, you knew it was from the apostle Peter, uh, Jesus' right-hand man. And I can imagine as a pastor just kind of scanning it and realizing right away, hey, he knows me. He knows me. He knows me. He knows my church. He knows what we're going through and you can't wait to share the information with your church but who's peter really writing this letter to it tells us in the second part of chapter 1 or verse 1 he says he's writing this to god's elect god's elect what does elect mean elect means that they are god's chosen people it says to god's elect and then he says they are exiles which means that they are not living in their home territory That's a point I want you to hang on to because it's so important to this message. They're not living where they belong. They're not living in their home territory. Some translations say that they are actually aliens. It says they're aliens scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So these Christians were believers. They were exiled. They were scattered from Jerusalem because of their faith. And they instantly became the main target for Roman persecution. So they're living in a land under the dominion of this evil empire. So in other words, the believers in Christ find themselves in a place that they don't belong. They're finding themselves in a place where they don't fit in with the rest. It's kind of like sometimes my son Austin, he'll walk around home with his headphones on listening to his music and he's kind of dancing around and moving around and looking a little bit odd to me at least. We'll get in the car to go somewhere, and uh, Cheryl and I are in the front seat, and I'll tune in my radio station and my music on the radio, and he's got his headphones in the back seat. I can see him in the mirror kind of head-banging away, and I know he's not listening to the music I'm listening to. I'm not sure I would call that music at all. But I would say this. If you are tuned in to God and a follower of Christ, you're supposed to look a little odd in this world. You're supposed to look maybe extremely odd in this place because if you don't, I would say maybe you're just a whole lot more tuned into the world than you are to God. That's a problem. Peter also wrote uh, this letter to prepare his people for more persecution. He knew more was on the way. So this just isn't a little note to comfort his people. This is a letter to help them to know how to get through tough times, how to endure these tough trials that they're facing, And in fact, if you know anything about Peter, Peter himself was martyred for his faith in Christ. He was killed for his faith in Christ soon after he wrote the letters of first and second Peter. All I'm saying is he knew a little bit about persecution. He knew a little bit about tough times. So I think this makes this a very perfect message for what we're going through today because we've endured some uh, tough times, especially in the past several months I mean, we've seen people suffer because of the color of their skin. We've seen people suffer for their political views. We've seen people suffer for their faith. I mean, our world is so full of unrest. We see one fight after another. We just see a hate-filled world. And on top of it all, we've got this COVID-19 virus. I mean, and it has surely exiled us. I'll say it's exiled us away from doing life as we've known it before. Doing life as normal. Maybe that's why I love the Bible, because it's never outdated. It's always up to date. It's always relevant. It's as relevant today as it was when it was written. I guarantee you, if you have a problem, you can find the answer in God's word. It's a supernatural word. It has all the answers. But today, nearly 2,000 years after Peter wrote this letter to these believers, I believe God is using Peter's words to tell us things that we need to remember. To realize how we need to get through tough times. How we need to establish and mature and build the kind of faith to get us through those tough times. So today I want to give you a few things that Peter tells us that God has already equipped us with. To help us get through tough times. The first thing is Peter reminds us whose we are. who's we are. Do you realize it's so important to know who you belong to? Look at verse 2. Peter says he's writing to Christians who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Peter's basically saying to this first century church, uh, and also to us as believers today, we've been chosen by God. You and I have been chosen by God. We belong to Him. We are children of the Most High God. Think about that statement, that He chose you and me. That ought to get you excited this morning. That ought to get you on fire for God, that, he know, that we know that he chose us. We didn't choose him, he chose us. I'll take you back a little ways. How many remember when you were a kid? Remember in gym class when your gym teacher would uh, choose two team captains? And then he would say, well, you two team captains pick who you want to be on your team. Wasn't that a good feeling? to get picked as first, second, or third per person in the pick? Yeah, wasn't that, oh, I didn't know about that feeling either. I usually didn't get picked that early. My wife would say, hey, it was a good feeling. She's the athlete in our family. She got the Division I scholarship. Uh, no, she got the scholarship to play Division One basketball in college. And me, of course, played high school ball. We kind of have a joke around the house that whenever I'm telling a basketball story on my own, she'll look at me and she'll say, oh, you mean high school? Yes, I mean high school. She, she accuses me of just being a high school pregame warm-up all-star. Let me say, I, I think she was right. I enjoyed running around there in my shorty shorts and my tube socks pulled way over my knees and being able to touch the very bottom of the net. I love that. But seriously, nothing feels better than to know that you are chosen by the creator of this universe, that you are chosen by God, that you belong to him, that you are his own that he has claimed you, that he wants you on his team. And when you hear me say that, you might think, well, wait a minute, you're saying that this loving God uh, accepts some and rejects others. I'm not really saying that, because God loves everyone. God loves all people. Uh, Peter maybe says it best in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, he's not willing for any to perish. Jesus doesn't want one person to ever leave this world without him. So God reaches out to all people, no matter who they are. But because of his wisdom, because he knows of things that happen before they happen, he knows who's going to use their God-given free will to choose him or to reject him. That reminds me of a story I heard about Eli Manning. Uh, In 2004, Eli Manning was the first player to be uh, picked in the NFL draft. But before he was uh, selected in the NFL draft, he made it really clear that uh, if the San Diego Chargers were to draft him, he was going to refuse their invitation. He didn't want to play for them. They wanted him to play for them, but he didn't. You know how the story goes. He got drafted by the New York Giants. He actually wanted to play for the New York Giants because he wanted to help them win some Super Bowls. All I'm saying is, just like Eli, we can accept or reject God's choosing. Do you realize that? We can accept it or we can reject it. Without a doubt, he wants us on his team. But the truth is, we have the choice to make, to accept it or reject it. That's ours to make. I look at it this way. God is a God that exists outside of time. He is so big that He knows things before they even happen. So He knows exactly ahead of time who's going to choose Him and who's going to reject Him. And every single person that's ever lived on this planet has had the opportunity to make that choice and to make that decision. So Peter's basically saying, if you're a follower of Christ and you trust in Him, you belong to God. He's also saying if you belong to God, Romans 8, uh, verses 28 and 29 apply to you. Listen to what it says. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. The truth is God could see in advance who was going to accept him and who was going to reject him. And those that accepted him, it says right here, he was willing to use the good and the bad to develop them and to mature them to become more and more like Jesus. That leads me to my second point that Peter's trying to tell us of how to get through tough times. Secondly, he tells us that we have a living hope. A living hope. Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I want to get into talking about that living hope, but before I do, I'm amazed at the words that Peter starts out with. Look what he says. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter doesn't begin by talking about his problems, and there were many He starts talking about his God. Starts talking about who his God was and what his God had done. He's putting God first. And Peter realizes when you are willing to put God first, you can't help but praise him. You can't help exalt him. He also knows that when you start with God, the problems of life fall into their proper perspective. When you start with God. But when you start with your problems, you might have a hard time finding God at all. You know, it reminds me of a Sunday I came into church and I ran into this young lady that was having some difficulties in her marriage. Her husband had left her and the kids. She was struggling. She was struggling emotionally. She was struggling financially. And being nice, I just said, how are you doing? And I kind of knew how she probably wasn't doing. And uh, uh, I asked her and she turned around and she looked at me with the biggest smile ever and she said, God is good, Pastor. She said, God is so good. She says, you know, I'm practicing the presence of God that you talked about a few weeks ago, and I'm seeing God everywhere. God's taking care of me on every level. God was right there, right then. Right then, I knew with that smile on her face, she knew the secret. When you put God in his proper place, all of a sudden, your problems of life are going to be put into their proper perspective. When you put God in his proper place, First place, then your problems of life are going to be put into the proper perspective. I believe with all of my heart that's why Peter begins with this uh, burst of praise instead of a, a list of complaints and problems. So Peter starts with praise, and everything after that is just a byproduct of that praise. I like to think that Peter let praise lead the way. Church, let me tell you, if you're going through a problem, a situation, if you'll take the moment to step back and give God the praise first and let praise lead the way, it's going to change everything. Because when you praise Him, your God's going to get a whole lot bigger, your problems are going to get a whole lot smaller. Amen? But what's a living hope? Simple explanation or definition, a living hope is a hope that never dies. It lives on and on forever. And as a believer in Christ... Uh, You and I, we have something that this world doesn't have, and it's not a hope that's just a vague wish or positive thinking. No, hope in the Bible is defined as having a certain expectation. It's putting an expectation on God that you know that he's going to do something. You know, when it comes down to it, our hope has to be grounded in truth. It has to be grounded in truth. It's not a wish list. It's not based on your emotions or how you're feeling a certain day, but in fact, Notice how our living hope in verse 3 is tied directly to a very powerful thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So think about this, church. Our hope isn't dead because Jesus isn't dead. Our hope isn't empty because that tomb is empty. Peter is saying we have a living hope because we are serving a living God. Without a doubt, Peter's darkest hour was when Jesus died on that cross. That was when his life started unraveling. Because he had based his whole life on the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And then one day he looks up and Jesus is hanging dead on the cross. And then Jesus was taken down and put in that tomb. Peter was in total despair. But three days later he went to that tomb and that tomb was empty. And then Jesus comes to Peter, if you know the story, and tells him he's alive. All of a sudden that sadness turns into joy. All of a sudden that despair turns into triumph. And Peter, he has an aha moment, and all of a sudden he realizes, God, this was part of your plan the whole time. Yeah, Friday and Saturday were painful. They looked hopeless, but there was a Sunday coming that reversed all of that pain. There was a Sunday coming. I believe through Peter's words, God is telling us that he knows that we have our Fridays and Saturdays when everything looks hopeless, when it looks like there's no hope and things are falling apart. But he says, don't give up and quit. Hang on. Your problems are going to be brief. And there's a resurrection Sunday coming. Amen? Think about that. We've got Jesus on our side. Think about Jesus is the one that has faced it all for you and me so that we can have the strength to face whatever this world tries to throw at us. Brings me to my third point. He gives us a future hope. He says we have a living hope. That's, to me, a present hope. But we have a future hope. Do you realize that there is a great day coming in eternity where everything that's been wrong in this world is going to be made right? There's a great day coming in eternity where we're going to be re- reunited with those that we've, we've loved, that we've lost. Maybe you're going to re- be reunited to a child that you've lost and went through so much pain about. Maybe that disease that took you to your grave, you're not going to have any more diseases. There's no more pain. There's no more crying. The Bible says that God's going to wipe away every tear. Peter says you're living in a living hope if you're a believer through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he throws this in there in verse 4. And he's going to bring us into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance, he says, is kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven for me, for those of us that put our trust in him. Church, there is something so glorious, so powerful, so wonderful, so beyond the scope of this world It's an inheritance, and it's a hope that disease and death can't even touch. And really, when it comes down to it, it is so glorious. We can't imagine it. It is so glorious, but it makes all the pain worth it. And it gives us something that I'm talking about today, something that Peter is writing about today, H-O-P-E. It gives us hope, not in ourselves, not in our world, not in our government, but in Jesus Christ. He's our help, and he's our hope. Look what it says in verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Everyone say a little while with me. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter is saying right there that our griefs are gonna our our troubles are gonna be brief. He's not saying we won't have troubles or trials. He's just saying they're gonna last for just a little while. But I also know, because I've been through some trouble, sometimes that little while seems like an eternity. That's when Peter says, no, step back. And realize that problem's going to be brief, really. It's going to be brief, and it's going to give way to something so much greater. He says pain one day is going to give way to peace. It's going to give way to praise. You know, I think one of the greatest miracles I can think of is seeing a mother giving birth to a child. But maybe the bigger miracle, I believe, is that she's willing to go through pain like that ever again to have a second child. I mean, how many second children do I have out there? I mean, you're born second in your family or third in your family. Aren't you glad that your mom saw that pain as just a temporary pain instead of a pain that was going to be there forever? She saw it as a temporary pain, and she could see beyond that to the joy of what was coming next. If she didn't, probably many of us wouldn't be here, amen? But I think Peter's just fast-forwarding the tape for these struggling believers. And he's understanding that, yeah, you're going through some tough times. You're going through some trials and some persecution. But it's going to be brief. You're going to get through it. And it's not going to be here forever. But look what he says in verse 7. He says these, meaning these trials, have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Note that little phrase, those two words, so that. You've got to circle that if you've got your Bible there. Circle it, underline it, uh, highlight it, because those words are so powerful. Those words, so that, tell us that our trials have purpose. Our trials have a purpose. Something good is going to come out of our biggest mess. God can bring a miracle out of a mess, amen? Something great can happen through the troubles and trials that God allows us to go through. And in this passage of Scripture, it also references something that was happening back in that day. He talks about God being uh, as a uh, goldsmith. You know what a blacksmith is? Is someone that works with metals. A goldsmith is someone that works with precious metal, like gold. And back in that day, when they would refine gold, they would put it in a, a fiery furnace, heated up so hot that it liquefied the raw gold and the imperfections, uh, would come to the surface. It was called the dross. They would uh, skim it away, and it would leave pure gold. And back in that day, it's important to remember that a goldsmith would knew he, know he had pure gold when he could see his reflection in that gold. What am I saying? I'm just saying I believe that's what God intends to do through our trials, through our tests, and through our troubles. I believe he allows us to go through the fiery furnaces of life so that they can burn off some of the things that we don't need in our life can burn off the greed, the anger, the bitterness, the hatred, the lust, uh, the, the selfishness. The list goes on and on. But in the end, you know what's left? The image of Jesus Christ. The reflection of His glory is reflecting from and through us. So these things that happen to us that put our faith in the fiery furnace, it's not to destroy our faith. It's to refine our faith. And to change our life and change our testimony so that our life and our testimony have value, that they have meaning because they are a reflection of Christ. They're a reflection of his character. So church, let me just say this. It's the hard times that make the strongest saints. You and I wouldn't be near what we are if we hadn't gone through a few things in our lives. Then look what Peter says in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible inexpressible, and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Do you realize that uh, thousands of years ago when Jesus walked on this earth in his earthly ministry, he was seen physically by hundreds, thousands of people, really. But do you realize that many really, really didn't see him because they didn't see him with the eyes of their heart? When you'll see Him with the eyes of your heart, it changes everything. All of a sudden you realize you can love Him, you can trust Him even in the hardest of times, no matter what persecution you're going through. And church, I look around and I see the signs of the times. I believe the second coming of Jesus Christ is getting closer and closer. And I believe if you'll listen closely, you'll hear the ticking of that clock. That's why, church, I think it's so important to get our spiritual ears in tune with the voice of His Spirit. I think it's so important that we seek Him like we've never sought Him before and that we open the eyes of our heart to look at Jesus, to get our eyes off of the problems, off of the chaos, off of the darkness, off of the hatred, and see Jesus for who He is. Amen? That's what it's all about, seeing Him for who He is. And listening to that still, small voice. You know, when the world is screaming its loudest, that's when we need to step back and listen to the still, small voice of God. And to have that kind of a relationship that we know that we know that we know that He's with us, that He'll get us through whatever we're going through, and we can just trust Him. You know, we are a people, when we follow Jesus Christ, that can have victory, and we can rejoice in the middle of difficult times. We may look real strange to the people around us that say, hey, you're believing in a God that you've never seen before. We are, but that's okay. Because one day, everyone's going to see him. One day, every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, there's not going to be any question whether or not Jesus is real or not, or whether God's real or not. There won't be any question, because you're not going to deny the reality of a holy God when you're standing before Him in all of His glory. So here's the question I want to ask you today. I actually want you to ask yourself, can you believe in a God that is doing something greater in your life right now or wants to do something greater in your life right now because He's here and He wants to do something that you can't even imagine in your life? Yeah, through the pain, through all the disappointment, through all the hardships you go through, you know what He's doing? He's purifying you and me. He's drawing us closer to Him, and He's also getting us prepared for an eternity that you and I can't even imagine. The Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, what God has; neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that believe in Him. And if you're fearful today in this world, you're looking around and seeing all this chaos and craziness, and you're full of fear, don't be. Stop and remember what I've just talked about, what Peter has written about. This world's not our home. We are aliens. We're just passing through. We need to keep our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? Keep our eyes upon him because you and I were created for something greater, so much greater. In fact, eternally greater. Amen? Could you bow your hearts in prayer with me? Father God, we love you today. And in the midst of the darkness of our world, the turmoil and trouble of this world, I pray you would help us to realize that you're still in the control. You're still on the throne. Help us to realize that you are our past, our present, and our future hope. You are our hope that lasts now and forever. And that no matter what trouble comes our way, God, you can use it for your good and for your glory. And I know as we trust in you, you'll see us through. Help us to keep our eyes upon your precious Son. And we pray in his name. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. See you next week.